there are less than 48 hours remaining to back Orbital Blue's Afterburn, and there is now another great reason to back this Kickstarter. At their next stretch goal, Soul Muppet Publishing will add a free PDF of a solo play supplement for Orbital Blues, written by our very own Elliot Davis. It's called The Wanderer, and it's about reflection, about your final showdown with the troubles you've been running from. With the addition of a deck of playing cards and a handful of poker chips, players will reflect on the life of an outlaw and reckon with their trouble as they attempt to build the best poker hand possible. The Wanderer is one part journaling game, one part playlist builder, and 100% the orbital blues you know and love. But the deck is stacked against you, and you've only got one hand left, so you better make it count. By backing Orbital Blues Afterburn, you are not only supporting a supplement for a great game published by some amazing designers, but you are also supporting this very show and some of our favorite people like Behold and Elliot Davis. So check out the link in our show notes below and back Orbital Blues Afterburn before the campaign ends. And with that, enjoy the finale of our game of Orbital Blues. Godspeed, cowboy. Hello and welcome to the finale of our Orbital Blues season of My First Dungeon. We began our last session with a question from Eli O'Connor. What do each of you truly want? Revenge. Escape freedom. The crew's motivations remained fractured, but ultimately you decided to finish what you all started in the Sutler system and made your way back to Irvine Industrial. Little did you know that the fight seemed to have a gravity all its own, pulling you and all your grudges and regrets into a single powder keg, ready to explode. The stage is set, and your troubles have all come a-brewing. To light the fuse, we only need two simple words. Everybody, roll initiative. (gasps) As we get into this fight, just want to give you a quick understanding of what, how the mechanics of this fight will move. We're going to be starting in initiative, but rather than things being like a 10 second round until things pop off, basically until like other people outside the ring start getting involved, every round we do is going to be a round of the fight inside the ring. Wow. So you guys, so everyone outside the ring kind of has more time to move. So this is like a kind of like 60 second, 90 seconds per round. The second something pops off outside, we move into a much tighter time frame of 10 seconds around. So do that as you will. Turn-based strategy. Turn-based strategy, baby. As we open up on this fight, we see two figures standing in the ring. That live figure of Del, still with that red and white scarf wrapped around her waist, some kind of like good luck talisman, something to help them through the fight. Opposite them, you see the now, for the first time since you've known them, revealed face of blank. 
the mask falls to the ground, clatters on the ring, and you see that very pretty boy look that is maybe surprising for what you maybe would have imagined being covered by a mask for so long. Both of them warming up in the ring, looking at each other, not quite knowing what to do or who the other one is anymore after such a long absence. In the stands, you see Francine Dubois up on one side cheering next to her, the 28, 30-year-old figure of Kav standing next to them, seeming to be cheering, having a good time. On the opposite end of this entire crowd, you see the Perazzo contingent uh, separated from the Reno Snake contingent. At the top of it, in this kind of like VIP box, you see Tony Perazzo, who's getting fed information in her ear by one of her assistants and seems to be thinking about making a move to exit this arena, getting word that no one's been able to find Casey Perazzo and that maybe this is not a safe space for them to be in. You see the tensions between these two groups are high, but are currently being stayed by a kind of mutual truce that this is an event we're going to both be participating in. You don't fuck with me. I don't fuck with you. But that is a very thin line to thread. Ward, you see your father off in the distance, Saul Jackson, jumping up and down, trying to be as discreet as possible, but is desperately trying to get Dell to take this drug punch up that they are supposed to be kind of using this fight as a demonstration for potential buyers. You see off to the side, John Tequila Rogers moving around the crowd, just kind of looking, looking, trying to find Jesse Red Rhodes. And Maria, you see the look on Kumari's face. A look you have not seen, likely ever, as Kumari lays eyes on a figure long thought dead, that of their child. A lot to take in in this space. And for a moment, you all hear that kind of quiet buzzing in your ear, that white noise. That white noise is very quickly interrupted with... Oh, let's get ready to rumble! You see the hundreds of people down in this giant cavernous basement. The lights start to go crazy. The DJ starts playing music. It is a raucous environment as our two fighters are pushed forward slightly by their, their cut men in the ring. We start with Dell. What I want to do first is blank. I want you to roll a contested savvy check. This is basically going to be your will and friendship against the, the hand of Francine Dubois and or Saul Jackson that seems to be controlling Dell in this moment. Uh, because there's two of them, they're going to be rolling with the upper hand. Oh, okay. Okay. 12. Hell yeah. They rolled a 7 plus 3 is only a 10. Ooh. In this moment, you see Dell moving forward, kind of looks over at Francine Dubois, looks over at Saul Jackson. Saul Jackson looks up at Francine Dubois. Dell follows his eyes up to Francine, and you see Francine just kind of very coyly, like, look down at, at Saul, kind of it was it clearly wasn't in this conversation, realizes what Saul is doing and reaches into her jacket and just flashes a little flash of some kind of uh, small metallic red card and just flat puts it back inside of her jacket. Blank, you kind of clock Dell's eyes, you clock up here, you see this card, you recognize this immediately as a Reno Snake marker. 
you know that Francine has made some kind of deal with Dell at some point in the future, and this is not something that is up for debate. You know that this person will be fighting you, but you also recognize that as you see them moving towards you, their arms just a little bit lower than a very active fighter would do. However, they are still going to make some initial test punches. Roll to seven plus zero gives a a large swing of their fist. You quickly duck out of the way. This is just a testing blow. As you guys are kind of squared up in the ring, kind of both of you kind of giving some slight jabs a little bit, no, not making contact, just kind of testing each other's reflexes. You see Dale look at you goes, what the fuck are you doing here? You weren't supposed to come back here. <sighs> kind of like clinches you up in a headlock. Without your voice or way to text message, what do you try to communicate in this moment as Dale is just looking at you like, what the fuck are you doing here? As we saw in a flashback previously and just their general history, they've conned people fairly frequently in their lives and because and the best way to do that is have some form of nonverbal communication. So as Dell gets them in a headlock, it's gonna be as it seems like he's trying to pat, like push them off them, but in reality they're patting their arm and trying to communicate, essentially saying, can't explain now, voice shot. Need to leave. Kind of trying to get that through there. Probably made up code between the two of them. I don't think it's a Morse code. I think it's just a code that they understand between them to try and get that through. And then once they've got that message across, they'll like violently, as well as appear to violently shove them off and then put some distance between um, themselves and them. You give this kind of like nonverbal signal. You guys, for a long time, you were inseparable. You knew how to work together. You knew how to talk without talking because that is so important for anyone trying to pull one over on anyone else you give this signal she looks to you and kind of gives you a small nod of understanding pushes you off and kind of just gives you a small uh, a, a little chin tap with her arm as you begin to hear the announcer going we've got a live one here folks let's see how this is going to turn out these are two unknown contenders to this particular sector but I've got word here that Blank over here is a four time golden glove champion <laughs> Uh, you see the, the announcer kind of like looks over at you and is just kind of like, I got to make it. I got to make it work, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Within this fight, Blank, anytime you deliver damage to Dell or Dell delivers damage to you, uh, you will take one blues. Makes sense. Yeah. Next up is Saul Jackson. Saul Jackson very quickly moves over into Dell's corner shoves her cut man out of the way and takes position ready to like be the one to lace up any cuts give her water that type of thing i'm gonna roll a little check for him anyone who wants to on their turn can try to make a perception check against what saul jackson is up to here next up uh john tequila rogers is moving through the crowd you see him kind of looking around very quickly around the reno snakes area trying to maintain a low profile and doing pretty well at it you know that this is a guy who's able to move through crowds pretty easily uh, Maria, it's your turn. What do you do? Oh, baby. All right. Maria has definitely clocked Cav. And if so, is going to kind of whip around and, and clock Kumari to try to perceive what is... Do Kumari see them? Do they... Are they angry? Are they sad? Are they... You know, like, what's up? Kumari, are you trying to conceal your feelings at all? Or are you an open book at this moment? Kumari uh, takes out their, like phone communicator thing dials Maria and then just goes ah! 
<laughs> Maria, you, you... So I don't need to roll a perception check then. Cool. No, you, you look over and kind of like from a little bit away, you see uh, Kumar just very calmly reach in, pull out their communicator, dial a number, hold it up their ear very calmly. And then you pick up the phone before you can even say hello. You just see mouth agape and like a quarter second delay. You hear in your ear from the phone. Ah! And then from the distance, you also hear Kamara going, ah! piercing through <laughs> the crowd noise and the, the roar of music and stuff that is happening right now. Is, I'm assuming Francine Dubois is, is like surrounded by... That kind of like area over there is like a Reno snake section. So like it's kind of like a bleachers filled with with snakes. A lot of them are just kind of like grunts and low level people who are just like there to enjoy the fight. You know that there are a few people around her who look more like muscle. Uh huh. Um, do me if it, roll a perception check for me. Uh six and one is seven. You see a bit of muscle next to them. With seven, uh, you there's something that you're not necessarily seeing in this moment. You do see some muscle around her. All right, I have a question. Yeah. My gambit. Yeah. The perfect lie. When you tell someone a lie with a straight face, they always believe you. Once per session, you can perfectly convince someone of a lie. Okay. If I perfectly convince a perimeter snake, Reno snake, of a lie, that if they pass the message, it it holds on to that truth. Yes. You want you want to explore the transitive <laughs> property of gambits? Yeah. Yes. I would say any lie you passed that they believe is true, they would pass as truth. Uh, I think the only thing you might have to consider is like making sure you find a person who is like who is able to pass that message. So if you go to like a concession guy and pass the message. Mm-hmm. He can't get Francine Dubois. Right. But if you go to a, like, muscle for the arena snakes, you could. Okay. I'm now trying to think about how to word it. But basically, Maria wants to get over to the Reno snakes. Using her averageness, she'll try to worm in as deep as she can get so that she's next to someone who she feels could, like, pass a message along and, and it would actually instigate a chain. And, uh... Basically, I want to say there's an there's an urgent phone call for Cav upstairs. Uh, yeah, Maria is so plain Jane, plain face, unremarkable. You move through a crowd like anybody. You move through this crowd very quickly, and everyone there just assumes you're with the group that is next to them. Like the regular people <laughs> think you're a regular person. The Parazos think you're in the Parazo group. The Reno Snakes just assume you're a Reno Snake without a leather jacket on. Maria Space Wedding Crashers spinoff. <laughs> you get extremely close. You kind of get into an area where you see some like lieutenants at, in the Reno Snakes and you kind of move forward. One of them finally stops. He goes, hey, uh, wh- wh- where do you think you're going? This is uh, reserved. Um, I'm just passing a message along. There's an urgent phone call for Cov upstairs. He looks up at Francine over at Cov and goes, oh, man, she... He's not going to like that. Okay, yeah, uh, sure. Starts to walk up, and you see him deliver a message to Kav. Kav, like, quickly talks to Francine. You notice that Francine kind of, like, waves them off a little bit. It's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you do what you need. Francine's eyes are trained on the fight. Particularly, they are extremely interested in seeing blank. Oh, no. Mm. 
Hav quickly makes the way down and starts heading up the long stairway. Clued like wanting to watch the fight more so than anything else. And Kumar, you you clock Kav uh, heading up the stairs as well. Um, I think Maria's then just going to sort of hang out at the bottom of the stairs so that she can be aware of like who's coming up and down mm. and also potentially be waiting for Kumari, depending on what they want to do. Hell yeah. Blank. You are in the ring, boxing back and forth with Dell. You both know how to kind of sell a fight. You've done it before in the past, and that's kind of what you're defaulting to. You also know that this is not a small crowd, and this is not a crowd of rubes. This is the fastest of fast company, and this ruse will likely not last for very long. Um, what do you do on your turn? I'm, I'm throwing a few just uh, faint jabs just to keep the, the guys going, and I'm going to back up and kind of showboat a little bit and then point at Dell and drag a thumb across my neck. Um, in the threatening Ooh. pose, but I'm doing it to show Del the scar so they understand why I can't speak. Go ahead and roll me a uh, savvy check. I'll say you can do it with the upper hand. I want three sixes. Uh, you win face. You win face. You win face. You see, you back up, give this like fucking sick wrestling move. Um, <laughs> Dell immediately clocks you, sees the scar. You see a number of emotions kind of flash through her eyes of like sorrow and understanding and worry and regret, but very quickly kind of gives you that quick nod. The crowd, however, sees this move and goes ape shit. For anyone in the crowd who was thinking maybe this is just a random person, no one is thinking that now. You hear a reporter off in the distance <laughs> being like, Oh my god, I haven't heard of this of this four-time golden glove out of, out of system champion, but god damn it, this is the fight you gotta see this time. <laughs> we thought we were here for Casey and Red, but boy, oh boy, we're here for Dell and Blank. This is gonna be the highlight of my boxing career. <laughs> People are going nuts. You elevate the crowd here. The crowd, because that was such a, a big role, the tension between these two groups has actually dissipated just a bit because they're so invested in the fight which could help you out later. Uh, Blank, anything else you want to do as you kind of like communicate what's what the battlefield looks like uh, better to Dell? I think I'm just going to, uh, again, it'll be like, after that move, dragging the thumb across her neck, I'm just bouncing on my toes. And then in a fashion that very much seems like just like general stretching or like getting into the headspace, I kind of tap the point of my toe against the floor um, to count four people just to say i've got four friends here we can get out i'll say with the uh with the triple sixes yet yeah, no no question you <laughs> tap it dell immediately falls back into those old routines you see her kind of like run a hand across her belt signaling you like i got it like I- i'm in on the play if i can i would also like to communicate now punch me <laughs> <laughs> You communicate that. You give a little nod to your chin. She she looks at you, gives kind of a shrug. And you see in her eyes very quietly that like, she feels a little bad about this. But there's a part of her that has really wanted to do this. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to say even out of turn, just boom, decks you. Go ahead and knock off one heart. And you can go ahead and take blues. As you get 
rocked on your chin. You feel that was not a held back punch. That was a <laughs> punch, but a directed one not to hurt you too much. But boy, oh boy, does a punch still ring your clock. And you see just a little flash back of memory. You draped over that hoverboard, wounds bleeding out as you rock it away. You see a flash of memory that you had forgotten as it kind of gets literally knocked back into your head. With you draped over that board, you glance back for a moment, moments away from drifting out of consciousness, and you see a number of people running outside of Viper's Bar and Grill towards Dell. And one of them you see is Francine Dubois. Next up is Tony Perrazzo. During this round, Tony is getting like fed a bunch of information, is looking very angry. And after a couple of moments of like checking out the fight, you know what? I think had you not rolled triple sixes, Tony Perrazzo would have started leaving for sure. Because you have like increased the crowd and the crowd is loving it, I'm going to roll a check for Tony Perrazzo. The smart thing for her to do is probably leave. Like something's wrong. She's just going to roll a straight savvy check. She's stupid, right? Yeah, she's stupid. Tony Prazo has a savvy of two. <laughs> nah, so she rolls dumb. a six or higher, she'll do the smart thing and leave. Rather, un- otherwise, she will she stay. She's going to have to get past Maria. <laughs> uh, she rolled a natural eight, plus two is ten. Ah, ah she's so smart. Uh, so Tony Prazo so looks at the she's fight. She's girl bossing her way to space. <laughs> Not girl <Infamy>. bossing. <laughs> Tony Prazo looks at the fight, seems to be enjoying it, but realizes like, hey, this might be the moment to leave. Something's up with Casey. And surrounded by three of her enforcers, uh, starts to head out through the crowd, heading rather than towards the stairwell, towards one of those back tunnels, uh, which is the way she came in. Kumari. You see off in the distance, uh, Kav beginning to make their way up the stairs towards the undercarriage bar above. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Okay, Kamari's looking around. Uh, they're very conflicted. They they see Maria, and they deeply want to go be held by Maria at this moment. They see Blank, and they're so afraid that something bad's going to happen to Blank in that ring and has no idea what to do. Uh, they're, like, trying to find Eli and Ward and can't find them. And it's just like, what do I do with my crew? Uh, Herbie is still fucking around and about. And yeah, we have Herbie. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I will say, um, because you brought Herbie, uh, Herbie can act on your initiative. So if you want Herbie to do anything, okay. that'll be on your turn. Did you guys get my email with the Herbie of course. idea? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? Secrets? You guys have secrets? You're planning That's all you around me? Send an no. email with an idea for how Herbie could benefit the group. I didn't know that Brian wasn't on that email. That yeah, was yeah, absolute Fuck you, Brian. <laughs> Fuck you, Brian. Uh, although, Brian, how many secret plans did you get sent after last session? What was the I total got so count? many secret plans. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I secret called plans. Brian. <laughs> so to go up, to like follow Kav, uh, I would have, like, what is the security situation look like with that? Security? They're very lax. Um, uh, okay. Kav is moving through here alone. You see Kav is... 28, 30, something around those that age, clearly it, like, just by their build, able to take care of themselves. You see a gun strapped to a holster. And this is ultimately like, this is a arena down here. So people are actively encouraged going up and down. 
you see more people coming down than going up, though, especially with this fight going so well at the moment. Okay. Kamari is going to look at, kind of like, look at Maria, give, like, a knowing nod with a tear kind of coming out of their eye and goes, uh, goes to Herbie and goes, hey, uh, we got to go do something. And I'm going to follow Kav and... Uh, my trouble is brewing, baby. It's, yeah. it's a brewing. Yeah. And as you say that to Herbie, Herbie goes, 10-4, boss. You got it. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> he has to push his way through. You feel your trouble a brewing. Just a reminder for everyone listening and for our players playing. Mechanically, once you have eight blues, uh, you can declare that your troubles are brewing. For the rest of that scene, you can spend blues instead of heart for exertion. You take half damage from all attacks during the scene. And at the end of the scene, you reset your blues to zero and choose one of the following. You either gain a new trouble, you restore all your missing heart, or you increase a stat by one to a maximum of three. As you move through the crowd, you head on over with Herbie to you, kind of pushing your way through pretty easily. Everyone's focused on the fight. They're not really focused on the people jostling them, trying to get away from the fight. You move through, you see Kav. Uh, keep in mind, this, this, the dome of this cavern is like four stories high. So it is a, a winding back and forth metal staircase that's like pretty thick and beefy to accommodate so many people. Um, you see Kav about two stories up walking towards uh, the top of the cavern to get back into the undercarriage bar. Um, are you following them up the stairs? Yeah, yeah, Kamari's following. Is there any check you want to make? Like, are you trying to be stealthy are you trying to catch up are you trying to do anything like that i i think kamari is too emotionally kamari is like not in a like a a place where they're thinking straight i think they're just emotional and just profoundly confused as to how this person is here right now maria's gonna also follow up the stairs right behind kamari maria you follow up the stairs as well Kumari moving pretty quick but uh, uh still two flights below where kav is because you're not hiding, I'm going to roll a check for Francine Dubois. It will be against the odds just to see if she happens to spot you. Cool. Oh, no. no. Uh, she rolled a six, a six, and a three. That's a nine plus her savvy of two. No. That's great. I love this for me. You don't see this. Uh, Maria, you likely don't see this either. Blank, as you get clocked, your head immediately whips over to Francine. You see Francine look at you, give a big smile, the smile of a tiger stalking its prey. And you see her just happen to glance up towards where Kav is walking. Her eyes happen to trace down and then lock on something else. And you see a moment of puzzlement, like, oh, I kind of recognize a person is it's, it's like you see someone famous in a crowd. You're like, oh, I recognize that person. Oh, it's because they're famous. She has that, but she is looking at what she thought was a dead person. She's looking at who a ghost in her mind. This is someone she thought was long dead. As she locks onto Kumari, kind of looks, sees her, is, is, sees them following up after Kav and begins to stand up and starts to move out as well, uh, tapping two guys as she is going. That's Kamari. Uh, Kav just walks up, um, heads out through the door, and disappears into the undercarriage bar. Ward. 
Uh, Ward, if you want, you've got eyes on Saul Jackson. Um, you can roll a perception check to see what he is oh, up yeah. to in the corner. I only have eyes for Saul Jackson. Um, <laughs> that's a 10. You see Saul Jackson pushes aside this cut man. You see in his hand he is palming a dose of punch-up that mm. he is like preparing to give to Dell. Um, okay, Ward is sort of in the bleachers and has just been watching um, his dad and he stands up very calmly and he's going to take off his brother's jacket and he's going to very neatly fold it in the way that his brother taught him to not get your suit jacket wrinkled and one last time rely on a talent learned from an old friend to bring my blues up to nine and then as he just starts making a slow walk down the bleachers towards his dad uh, I believe my trouble starts a brewing. Yeah, it does. You fold that jacket and set it down. This jacket that has been through hell and back that has seen death and gunshots and blood spilt, you fold it neatly and leave it on that bleacher nice and crisp in a way that looks out of place for something that is so destroyed, that something so damaged can be treated with so much love. And you begin walking with heavy boot steps down the bleachers. Saul Jackson with his back to you, looking over, bringing his arms forward as if to call Dell over, like, end the round, end the round! Mm. As Ward approaches him, he is reaching back uh, into the back of his pants where he's hit his revolver and he's just going to hold his revolver down by his side um, as he walks up to Saul Jackson and I think he's just going to very calmly walk up behind and press the butt of the revolver into the back of him and say I need to talk to you go ahead and uh, roll me an intimidation check Uh, I'll say because it's a revolver and because you're sneaking up behind him uh, roll with the upper hand uh, that's 11. Yeah. Ooh. 11. You push this up behind his back. You see Saul momentarily pauses. You see him flip his head around, not yet clocking who it is, but like begins to make a move in the way that only someone who's been on the run for so long, only such a Harvard criminal can. He recognizes danger, goes, realizes that the first thing to do is likely the best thing to do. Action is better than inaction. And the second he hears your voice, he stops. Mm. Doesn't turn around, just looks forward at the fight. Hey, boy. Think this can wait? I'm busy. No. I don't think it can. Think you can still handle that hand cannon? Learned from the best, I suppose. Learned to get the jump on me, at least. Glad I was able to teach you one thing right. Take a walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see him slaps his hand on the the mat. Go ahead and roll me a perception check. That is just a seven, but I'm in the position where I can spend blues to exert. You can. Yeah, let's do that. We'll spend one. Fuck, that wasn't good. 
still still under eight. You can still spend more if you want to oh, spend right, right, them right. on your other dice. Just the, the, yeah, yeah, any yeah. die that you the one that I already did. Okay, so actually I can't because the reroll was a one, so there's no way I can make it. You see him slap the the mat kind of in frustration, or at least so it seems, and begins to walk through. What what way are you headed? Are you just kind of heading behind the bleachers? Are you heading to one side? Yeah, or the other? I think sort of like to the edges of this area, like towards like maybe the bar area, which is probably a little less busy while everybody's so engaged with the fight yeah you see especially because of the the triple sixes um the crowd is you it's created some spaces where there are no people because everyone's just focused on this fight uh you begin to move with saul jackson him still moving in a way he has not yet turned around to look at you and i think you realize that that is not a preservation thing it's not anything like that it's deliberate it's a slight yeah you move with him, uh, Eli O'Connor. You begin to see uh, Tony Perrazzo standing up and moving away with some of her muscle. Quickly, like any Perrazzo that are in the stands, just part like the Red Sea as her contingent begins to move down and start to head towards what you believe to be the tunnel that she came in from. How many people are with her, leaving with her? Leaving with her are three. You see she's currently like in kind of her sections there's like a bunch of parazos right around right now but the contingent that is like physically going to leave with her seems to be three people there's like an upper area where people are heading to where like kav and kumari and maria are they're they're essentially going up a staircase like out of this cavern so this cavern is essentially like a big almost like like three or four story high dome Mm -hmm. that this stadium has been erected in to get down here there's basically like a almost like an elevator shaft turned into a stairwell Mm mm-hmm that basically just goes kind of straight up and down from the undercarriage bar down into this arena. So they're currently on a stairwell just kind of going up. And and Tony Perrazzo and these three cohorts are leaving a different way. They're heading towards... So because this was a disused um, mining... This was a disused mine. They're like heading down one of the mine shafts where they like... They're heading down a mine shaft, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't really want to take on four people, but I have to follow Tony Perrazzo. What I would like to do is sneak behind them and find a way or an opportunity to separate some or all of the guards from Tony Perrazzo, inject myself with the punch-up, and then kill Tony Perrazzo. This is what I'm thinking is my plan. So I'm going to try and... The first step of that is to be follow them and look for an opportunity to separate. Go ahead and roll me a savvy check. Oh, I have I have only one savvy. Ooh, that's a seven. Plus two is it? That's a nine. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you caught that real With a nine, you see as they're moving through the crowd, you recognize that the the moment to start separating people is likely while they're still moving through this crowd. You see there's a number of Parazo enforcers like they're essentially moving towards the border of where like the Parazo meets Reno Snake area. Awesome gang fight. Yeah, you see that there's a moment of like that's a place where a match could be lit that might be able to cause some separation. Okay, as we approach that area, I would like to say in like a different voice. I guess it could be my voice since they don't know my <laughs> voice, <laughs> but I'd like to say in a different voice, like. You fucking Perrazzo trash. Get out of here. This is snake territory. And then 
like kick out the knees of the guard that I'm following and then like step back and look surprised. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. And then hopefully that'll start shit with them. Now go ahead and roll. Uh, I, I guess you just rolled a set. Well, should I make you roll a savvy check? I'm rolling. Yeah, roll rolling, rolling dice. <laughs> roll a savvy check. That's uh, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying to decide if this is with the upper hand. I think this is straight. Yeah, roll a savvy check just straight. Ooh, that's an 11. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You get fight, very fight, close fight, behind fight. this person, knock out their knee. You know what? I, I do I do want to ask you something before before we before I uh go through with this. You're moving through Peraza territory. I will tell you something that just to give you a clear idea of the battlefield. If Tony Perrazzo sees you, that's that's the start of a combat. I'm now hoping that this confusion of the fight means that I can get close to Tony and kill them in the chaos. Okay, cool. But before I kill them, I want to look in their eyes and say something dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. With that 11, you uh, whisper this into one of the guard's ears, grab their shoulder, kick their knee out. You hear a small like crack in the knee and then quickly move back into the crowd. What was that? You see them kind of like swing around Swing wildly at you, accidentally hit a Perazzo. Go, oh, oh, shit, sorry, man. Uh, looks over, sees a Reno snake going like, ha, ha, fuck. Like, sees a Perazzo hit a Perazzo and be like, ah, what a fucking idiot. And this guy immediately throws a punch at that guy. You see Tony looking o- looks over at what, what is happening here. He goes, what the fuck are you at? Get me out of here. As a small little skirmish begins to start, you see, like, lieutenants of, or like higher up people, not quite lieutenants in this area, but like anyone who's got a little bit of influence is like trying to stop it, and all the lowest ranking people are starting to fight. As Tony begins to move out, two of the people uh, stay behind. Two of the people stay behind? I think one of the people stay behind. And uh, two people follow along with her as she gets kind of like ushered out very quickly uh, from this group and begins to move through the kind of uh, liminal space between crowd and exit. Does this fight alter Francine's plans at all? For champ? Does it alter? Uh, Dubois? To specify the Francine I'm discussing. <laughs> oh, not the other Francine? Not the other Francine. I'll roll a check for her. I Actually, honestly, I won't. She she She's up the stairs. She's starting up the stairs already. She is moving towards okay. the stairs. She, she sees a more interesting threat to her. Than, Gotta follow than the drama. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep following Perazzo and then jab the punch up into my neck as I follow, as I like close the distance. You look at this punch up dose in your hand and it kind of looks like a like a pog almost. Uh, so, so almost awesome. like, or almost, or like a poker chip rather. But you see, like a couple of small, like very, like microderm needle type things on it. You look at it, slam it into your neck, and you feel a rush of, thum, 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 as your heart starts to beat faster, and you feel this just rushing through you. The effects of this, you will do double damage on any hit. Wow. At the end of every hit, I'm going to make you roll 2d6. If you roll snake eyes, you will die. Oh! <gasps> honk, honk. Time for a swan song. Just <laughs> <laughs> swans honk. Whoa. Can I retcon? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> okay. Oh, my 
God, you're going to put that in Dell? That's oh. insane. It's not a very Ooh. high chance. You know, one in 36. Yeah. Guys, it's so, rare, you know, it's yeah. a 3% chance or thereabouts. Yeah, but now that you've said it out loud, Brian, it's going to happen. It's extra scary. I just want to check, oh. Carolyn, are, are you okay with that? You, you good to yeah, play with that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Actions have consequences, bitch. <laughs> have consequences. <laughs> That's what it feels like. There's a chance you could die. I mean, John Skeela told you this <laughs> stuff was dangerous. Eli, you begin to stalk these two guards and Tony uh, as they begin to move through the space between crowd and exit. Uh, and we move from you to Francine Dubois, who quickly makes her way through the crowd with um, a couple of goons with her and begins to move up the stairs behind Maria and behind Kumari and behind Kav. I'm going to roll a little thing for the, the Perazzo goons versus the, the Reno snakes that are having this fight. Basically, you can do a savvy check uh, to see if this fight starts to get out of hand. Uh, because, uh, again, we rolled the triple sixes, I'm going to let them roll this with the upper hand. If they beat an eight, they it kind of fizzles out. If okay. they don't, this is going to start escalating and there'll be consequences for the battlefield. That is a four, a three, and a three. Their savvies are respectively zero and minus one. <laughs> you see this fight begins to escalate. You see what was two or three people fighting begins to move further and further into the crowds, almost like a wave or a ripple effect as more people begin to move towards this, this battle line. As the announcer is going up, Hey, everybody, let's keep it down. All the action is happening in the ring. Look at this four, this five-time Golden Glove winner uh, by an interstellar champion fighting this relative. Oh, wait, I'm just getting word from uh, from my co-host here. And it puts on another voice. Yep, yep, yep. It looks like it looks like over here. It's the same guy. <laughs> looks like over here. Actually, Dell turns out to be a six-time boxing champion for the featherweight and welterweight division. <laughs> wow, this is just an incredible fight. You see this the, the owner slash bartender here is doing their best to make sure their club does not get destroyed in this altercation. <laughs> uh, and it I is got not bad working. News for that bartender. This that's not <laughs> what's gonna happen. That is the end of this first round of combat. You hear ding ding. Uh, both fighters go to their respective corners. Uh, blank, you see there's a like a cut man next to you who begins to like, look over your wounds. Very quickly realizes like none of your hits are real. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's kind of like, oh shit, you're actually like really good. Like just assumes you're taking <laughs> it on the chin and, and being cool with it. There's no one over in Dell's corner. Dell is just kind of like chugging water and is looking at you trying to communicate ideas of a plan. Top of the order is Dell's turn. From across the ring, you and Dell are just kind of making eye contact giving each other like small signals and things. Dell is looking at you, begins to kind of like tap her body in various ways, kind of like cross body swipes, indicating to you something that you guys, this is a signal you guys have used in poker before of we're both playing the same hand. We're trying to drive up the price of the pot, basically betting against each other. So hopefully a third person comes in and more money gets in the pot. The question is, which one of us is going down? Blank grabs uh, the bottle of water from their guy in their corner and like kind of chugs it and sets it aside and kind of wipes their mouth and then rubs the bottom of their nose to say, I'll go down. You see uh, just a very straight out of the sting, uh, finger on the side of the nose, twitch, uh, <laughs> to let you know she, she's got the play. You hear from the corner, ding, 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 round two. And you see those same like uh, uh, sexy ring 
men and women just in like speedos and thongs and shit with a giant ball with the three that's three boobs. Boobs. Oh, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Don't forget. The three boobed woman yeah. and the two penis man. <laughs> right, right. Uh, both have like giant uh, inflatable balls that have the number two on them. You see yeah, them very deliberately uh, throw them. They both have giant balls. They both have giant huge balls. balls. Like, huge balls. Bagging out of the sun. I'm sorry. She's got everything to me today. I'm sad this is the last episode. We're just trying to ruin it. <laughs> we, we gotta cut the sad with I'm Barney. acting out. I'm acting out. <laughs> uh, they, they toss the balls over into the crowd that started to fight in vain, trying to get them to disperse a little bit. But ding, ding, ding. Round two. Saul Jackson is walking in front of Ward. You hear him still looking straight ahead, realizing you're moving towards a quiet area. He just kind of turns and goes, you know, whatever happens here doesn't change nothing, boy. Still your fault. Your brother's cold in the grave. I think I don't respond verbally. I just stick the revolver a little bit uh, harder into his back. You see him kind of like feel that. Go ahead and roll me your perception check. And also, I'm, like, walking him towards the bar, which I think is, uh... Yeah. I'm assuming it's sort of empty. Um, I am going to exert one on that. God damn it. Same exact thing. Six. You see him kind of get pushed by the barrel of your gun, kind of turns his head back just a little bit, just so you can see a bit of the silhouette of his face, his eyes still looking forward, gestures back and goes, Would have been alive here with me today. Hadn't been for your fucking cowardice. We could have been sitting up there and kind of points over to where the Perazos are. Could have been sitting up there instead of fucking Tony still. Could have had it all, but you had to decide last minute to get cold feet and run. Tail between your legs like a little bitch. Keep walking. I'm going to say with a failed perception check. I'm going to tell you the thing that you don't see. Love it. You don't see his hand flex in a way that you would have noticed is the same way you palm a coin. Mm. You wouldn't have noticed this, just that almost imperceptible way of someone palming something. And as he does, he kind of just reaches up to scratch his neck and you see his hand press into his neck momentarily. And as his hand comes away, what you don't notice is the six small microdermal pricks of blood. As you see him just kind of give a small chill but in your mind it's just he's got a gun in his back he's moving in a strange way but what you don't know is that your father has punch up coursing through his veins and you know what it's still his turn I'm gonna have him make a check I'm gonna have him make a check to try to disarm you oh mama (laughs) this is Shakespearean Papa can you hear me I think what this is gonna <laughs> so be much happening. I think what this is gonna be is gonna be a contested check. Fuck me, okay. Um, yeah. I'm gonna say because you rolled because you didn't see that action, I'm gonna have you roll against the odds. He's just gonna Fuck. roll straight. Or actually, wait, sorry, for let me make sure, because you are uh Trouble's Brewing, I think you can It can be against the that's just can swan be. song. It's just okay. swan song that can't be. Um so you'll be rolling against the odds, he's just gonna roll straight. Um, he's going to roll a savvy check to try to beat you on speed. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say you can roll. Crit. Crit, 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 crit. I think this is a savvy check. I think it's a straight speed Ow. of him. 
right. You know what? You know what? You know what? He's going to roll a savvy check. I'll let you roll either a savvy or a muscle check. He's trying to get to your gun. You're trying to keep your gun. I'm going to muscle for how hard I'm gripping gripping that gun. Um, let me tell you what he got. Oh, okay. He didn't roll that well. He rolled a natural four plus, I believe, two. Uh, Lower two with against the odds? Yes. Sorry, his savvy is three. So he rolled a total of seven. Rolled a total of seven. Okay, I am going to exert to re-roll these. Can I re-roll just the lower two? Is that... Yeah, you can re-roll uh, any number, that, but each die you re-roll is a blues you are spending. Yeah, yeah. Fuck a duck. Um, That is only seven. Wait, wait, is that what he got? He got a seven. He, as you are moving, spins around, grabs the gun. You Im- instinctively go to pull the trigger. His finger latches behind the hammer of the revolver, stopping it from hitting the bullet and firing directly into his gut. As he pulls the gun forward, points it straight up, and begins to move it towards your face, you are both in a wrestling match with this gun. Your father, for the first time in years, looking directly into your eyes. That is Saul Jackson's turn. John Tequila moving around the bar. Uh, is moving around the crowd. Um, Maria, it is your turn. You are moving up the stairs, following behind Kamari. Up ahead, you see Kav entering into the undercarriage bar through the upper door. Can you go and roll a perception check for me? I'm going to roll the other dice, because those ones didn't treat me that good. Oh, well, these treat me worse. That's five. Uh, Okay. I'll say with that perception, you don't notice anyone coming up behind you. Well... Shit. Uh, <laughs> that was going to be what I was going to ask. Oh, goodness gracious me. I'll say if you want to spend your turn to like set up, if you want to set yourself up in this space to basically like stop anyone from coming up, you can certainly do that. But I don't think you're instinctively aware that someone is already on their way up towards you. Right. And I'm not necessarily like the the sounds from the the fight between the Perazos and the Reno Snakes doesn't necessarily add that much commotion to the cheering and everything like i wouldn't know oh something weird is happening downstairs i think if you look over you recognize that there is like a commotion happening uh-huh but you don't necessarily have a good idea thing yeah. yeah all right then i think um, I, th- I think actually in that area you also see because they threw those like round two balls over there those balls are also being hit up so you're like are they playing or are they fighting <laughs> right like what's happening guys can i roll a sort of retroactive perception check to see if I can, having watched them interact with each other very briefly, glean anything about the relationship between Francine and Kav? Yeah, go and roll a perception check. Or uh, I'll say a a savvy check here. This is more intuitive. All right, well, it's a five and a one, but my savvy, I believe, it is plus two. So that is exactly it. (laughs) You saw them walking together. The things that you notice are twofold, I think. The first is you had only probably seen Kav once as a child on that fateful night where you thought you would never see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, you recognize them only in relation to Kumari. Like you recognize them only because you saw Kumari's face. Right. What you see is not a child. In any sense of the word. This is someone who has had their eyes fully open to the world. 
and has trained themselves to be fully ready to accept anything the world could deal at them. You saw a gun at a holster on their hip that is clearly, this is not a show holster. This is a holster to be used. Mm -hmm. This is a gun to be used. You see their body has been toned in a way that suggests that they are ready to fight. Uh, and they were standing next to Francine in a way that suggests they are willing and able to protect them. Mm, that's what as, I feared. As they moved away, as your lie got up to them and they started to move away, you saw them put a hand on Francine's shoulder, just kind of like basically a tap to say, hey, I'm going to go up and take a call. You saw Francine's hand go up and squeeze in a very familial way. Mm, I hate this it. Oh, no. Um, yeah, Maria, now that they're, like, taking some time to walk up the stairs. I do. Um, I just want to clarify the familial way. A familial way in, like, a a, a mother-son uh, rather than a, like, mother-lover type. No, they're fucking. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That the options were mother-son and mother-lover. <laughs> <laughs> and mother lover, yeah. Mother lover. Everyone knows the mother lover dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> Those are on their way to the mother yeah, boy pageant. Yeah, and they're wrong when I said I said what I meant. The DM is faithful, one hundred percent. I pre- I pretty much thought you meant like a surrogate yeah, mom sort like, of a thing. There was mom there was thing. enough smiling around the call that I was like, I want to be double sure. That, yeah, <laughs> I, it's I like a it. cousin, second cousin. <laughs> like a Alabama yeah. kind of, you know. Wait, exactly. <laughs> there was just hey, enough room to be misinterpreted. That's my family. This was a motherly embrace of, okay, honey, I'll see you in a few. That's not what I want to hear. With a w- juicy wink. <laughs> juicy. <laughs> juicy wink is my moist, I think. <laughs> yes, we got yeah. it. Moist. Has anyone not found their moist yet? <laughs> oh, man. I think that might be everyone, I that think. I think we be, got everyone. Might might off the mic. I'm okay yeah. with it. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. So, uh, so now that we're like taking some time to walk up the stairs... And Maria's been thinking, like, she's trying to analyze of, like, did I do the right thing of isolating Kav? Like, we haven't seen Kav in so long. Does Kav even know who Kumari is? Does Kav want to be reunited with Kumari? Do they not? Like, we don't know really what we're walking into now that she uh, is sort of thinking back on this and being like, oh, that was a very, you know, motherly pat that she's, Maria's starting to freak out a little bit. And is going to just kind of, I think, she, yeah, she's just kind of really trained herself on Kumari. I almost want to throw her initiative down the river to after Kumari. You can throw your initiative down to after Kumari. Toss it down. I, yeah, I kind of think that's what, now, now if she missed her perception of anything happening on the stairs, I think that, yeah, Maria is is thinking, oh, crap, maybe I haven't done the right thing. And she's going to throw her initiative down the river. Copy that. So you move up next to Kamari as you guys go to uh, open the door into the undercarriage bar. Blank in the ring. You again hear the announcers just like revving you guys up. All right. But between these two, we've got 14, count of 14 golden oh, gloves. Uh, <laughs> seven, seven whole people, baby. <laughs> Uh, they're just going. They're seven going nuts. Whole trying to, <laughs> seven whole people. <laughs> seven whole people worth of golden gloves. We can have a person made of golden gloves fight 
getting another person made of golden gloves with the amount of golden gloves we have in this ring tonight. Everybody, stop fighting. Just watch the fight, please. Uh, as everything is starting to shift and get a little more rowdy, um, Blank, you've made the call of I'm going to be the one going down. Uh, what do you want to do with your turn? And the, the, this is like the second round that started, right? Second round, yeah. I think again, in his corner, getting close to the center of the ring, kind of bouncing on their feet. And we'll kind of like slam a fist against their chest. Again, in like a showmanship way, but trying to communicate to Dell to say, um, I'm going to punch you and it's going to come from the right. So I like slam my right fist against my chest and say, just to telegraph, let them know that I'm going to swing. And they should let it hit, but like brace themselves doesn't hit too hard. Sure. And then, and then I'm going to get in close to start swinging. You move it. I'm going to say because you guys are telegraphing this, the same way that she did, you'll automatically do one heart worth of damage to her, and you can take an additional blues as you do this. As you slam your fist into her side, you see her instinctively move out of the way, but there's only so much you can do while still selling a punch. As you do, the tail of the... One of the ends of the scarf kind of flips up in a way that just happens to brush against your arm in a way that is familiar and comforting and reminds you of those days running through and stealing things from a market. It reminds you of the days that that scarf was a signal of walk, whether walking into a bar was going to be good or going to be bad for you. You knew that the different ways that she would position it on her body were signals of what call you should make and what bet you should make. You know so much about this person, but you still, in this instance, have to hurt them. And you recognize that you may have already done that in the past. And I kind of like dance around the ring in this moment. And then I think again, like slam my fists together and then as suddenly as I can tap my chin to be like, throw a punch at me. You tap the chin, wham! You take another heart worth of damage uh, as she slams into you. You again feel that ringing in your ears. In that moment, I would like to stagger backward as believably as possible. And I described setting my board down at the ring, at the mm-hmm. ringside. Um, and I've also described in previous episodes that there's like a three-stage step of turning my board on. <laughs> yeah. um, I would like to do two of them <laughs> to have it primed to very quickly leave at a second's notice. Hell yeah. Uh, like I'll in see. that kerfuffle. Go ahead and make me a savvy check. Um, I'll let you roll it with uh, the upper hand because you guys have been doing so well this time. Good for the upper hand. Um, uh, That's a 12. Hell yeah. You fall over into the corner. You hear the crowd just kind of pop and go, yeah! You hear a number of them going like, fuck you! Yeah, Dell! Your hand just kind of reaches over. You don't have to see to do this. It's so familiar to you. You just by feel, move your hand down to the first switch, the second dial, and you spin your board around momentarily, knowing that the final button that you need to push will be easily accessible to you. So you've prepped this escape vehicle as best you can and also kept the fight looking like a fight. You uh, hear the the ring, uh, the referee counting. One, two... Three, I four. play it up like at like seven is when I get up. Like I struggle to get <laughs> up at five. I like collapse again, and by seven I'm back on my feet again. You hear somewhere behind you, uh, some woman going, "Taking bets, taking bets." You think we need round three, round three, three to two, three to two, three to two. All right, everybody. Oh, yep, yep. You start right there. And just calling out various odds and things. Right now, you hear people betting against you. 
knowing that, that you've sold it going down hard enough. That's, ooh, that's perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! Tony Perrazzo is heading out with her goons. Tony is going to make a very important check. And that check is a perception check. I pull my hat down lower. I pull my hat down lower. (laughs) She's got two people with her who are also on the lookout. You're in an area that's not particularly well hidden. You're kind of in that liminal space between two good areas. They're going to roll with the upper hand. Eight or higher, they notice you. But the hat's lower, Brian. (laughs) But the hat is lower, so I think they cancel out. How low does the hat have to go? That is a five, a three, and a six. The Perrazzo goons have a minus one to Savvy, so they got a ten. Tony rolled a six and a two for eight. Her Savvy is two for a ten. Oh, no. Giant balls. We're all fucked. You see up in front of you, uh, one of the the goons turns around, looks and goes, hey, I'm going to need you to hold up right there. I'm going to need you to hold up right there. The other one kind of grabs Tony and starts moving Tony forward a little bit more. You see Tony pushes the goon's hand off. Be like, don't you fucking touch me like that. Begins to spin around. As she does, you see her coat kind of flies open. You see a gun at her hip that you know well has been used to fell many, many people. And she glances back at who the fuck made someone else touch her in a way that she did not like. And she sees you. As you see in her eyes, she doesn't just see you in that moment. She sees you for the first instant. The instant after that, she sees Nikki. Me too, every time I close my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) A moment exists between you two as the sounds of the crowd behind you go to nothing. The sounds of your own heartbeat even go to nothing. The buzzing in your ears that you know is from the punch-up coursing through your veins goes to nothing, and you exist in a space only two people of your particular trauma can exist. Both of you blaming the other for the death of one of your most beloved people. You both feel the twitch of your hands. You feel the weight of the gun on your hip. Tony pushes the goon to her left to the side, reaches down, drawing faster than you would have imagined for a woman of her advanced years, and fires. <gasps> Ooh. What? Tony Perrazzo has her gambit, gives her advantage on attacking with pistols. Oh no! Can Abby the human do a diving save? 
Uh, you are not <laughs> close enough. Eli, Eli, um, across the entire time. Eli, is your trouble brewing? Or are you going to take half damage? Or are you yeah. or have you not done it yet? I feel like if my trouble ain't brewing now, then it ain't never going to It might be brew. the time to call it. <laughs> I feel like as soon as we lock eyes, that world fades to white around us and we're in that liminal spiritual space, then... And I, I think the key to the trouble brewing is actually Eli falters when he sees that look in Tony's eyes and he recognizes that expression oh. and he thinks for a second maybe he's been wrong and she didn't kill Nikki and she wasn't the one who shot Nikki. And that doubt brings his troubles crashing down because that, that like thirst for revenge is all that's brought, brought him forward. So his troubles are... <laughs> you feel in equal measure the punch up running through your veins and the blues and the sorrow coursing through your head as you feel hot lead directly into your arm. <sighs> she rolled a five, five, a four, and a one. Uh, so she definitely hits with the two fives. You're going to take four damage Ooh. because your troubles are brewing that is halved to two okay i take two so i'm i've already got minus two so i'm down to six heart oh, right no. Now. oh no oh no that's i'm bad at math i'm down to four uh, heart yeah i was right gonna now. say if you were already <laughs> down to <laughs> i'm down to four heart i'm at half health you see tony holds the gun immediately cocks back the hammer you see the 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 men at her side are not moving to make a move in this point. They recognize that this is a showdown between you two. They likely won't interfere until it becomes necessary for them to. Uh, so you know that there is an axe over your head from these people. It is not an axe they are dropping immediately. And it's now it's my turn? <laughs> You're still a little way, ways away. It is. Okay. Uh, what? <laughs> as you hear. Yeah, it's going to be a little weird. We, we might we might play with the order a no, little bit. No, I like it. Strategy yeah. is my favorite genre. <laughs> <laughs> Kumari, from up above, you're now near the door. You have your hand on the handle to leave this area. You hear <laughs> ring out. Everyone from below all of a sudden goes quiet. You hear that bang ring out. In this massive cavern, it echoes in a way that you had not thought possible for a single gunshot. Your eyes immediately go over. I'm going to say, go and roll me a perception check to see if you see where the shot is coming from. I'll let you roll with the upper hand because there was such a loud bang. Shit's popping off. Uh, that's a 10. You immediately look over and you see off in the distance over by these tunnels, you see Tony Perrazzo and Eli O'Connor standing in a duel. Tony Perrazzo, hand up. Eli O'Connor staggering back slightly. You recognize having just been hit hard by a blast from a 45 revolver a gunshot was fired things are going to pop off we are no longer in 60 second rounds we are into the like 10 15 second rounds okay that'll be a little bit porous as we go but like keep that in mind in your in your heads you have your hand on this door that you still feel is warm from the touch of kav what do you do so let me know if this is possible brian but i want to use my gambit to give everyone the opportunity to roll with the upper hand when they choose because of what I'm going like a flashback I'm going to do right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. So let's, I, let's see. Let's see what it is. 
I think after hearing the gunshot and seeing uh, the standoff between Eli and Tony Perazzo, Kamari flashes back to the day they had their captain's vote, their yearly captain's vote or this deciding thing. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's like Kamari standing, like they're all in, the, in like, af- like a team, an afternoon team meeting that Maria called or something. And uh, Kamari's like, all right, everyone, uh, we're doing our captain dis- decision-making thing, tradition tradition today, and then holds out a, a handful of like straws, and they're gonna draw straws to see who becomes captain. And uh, everyone, I think, everyone draws a straw, but I think instinctually everyone like knows which straws are the short ones, which <laughs> ones the, the the big one. They just let Kumari win, and then Kumari's like, "Well, all right, uh, my first order as captain is." Don't you assholes die on me. And so everyone can have, uh, can choose when they want to use their, you have one upper hand that you can roll with on a check until the end of these scenes. And Kamari is like now thinking about that and is deeply afraid for all of her, her crew. Um, and so I think Kamari then turns to see Maria behind, like sees Maria and like takes out the memento that they carry of like the birthday card Maria gave her. They like reach out for Maria's hand. They squeeze it with like a knowing look to Maria. And then they enter the room that Cobb is in. You open that door, turning your back on one of your crewmates hoping that they'll survive but certainly not knowing and knowing that you've made the choice to not intervene in whatever fate will have instead choosing to follow your own fate pushing through this door the bright lights of outside hitting you coming through these these windows still though it is like evening time here the sun on this moon is a little bit weird and is crashing through this place in a way that your eyes can't quite adjust to. And as they adjust, you see standing over by the bar, talking to a bartender, being like, but I, I heard I had a call. I walked up four flights of stairs to get here. You see Kav standing there. And as you burst open the door, Kav turns, looks at you, regards you, and does not recognize you. Oh. You see the eyes of someone who looks who just happened to look at motion happening in their peripherals, analyzed it and saw neither threat nor recognition and turned back to the conversation that he was having. Kumari goes goes up to Kav and says, uh, Kav? You see, uh, turns to you and goes, uh, yeah, what's up? Do I know you? Kumari takes a, a long pause, looks down, gives an eye to the bartender to be like, this is, I'm the call, and goes, you don't, you don't, you don't remember me. Sorry, you know, I, I'm good, I'm good with names, not so much face, so uh, uh, no offense, I, I just meet a lot of people. Uh, sorry, Kav, well, as, as you know, what's, Kav uh, Dubois, what's your name? Kumari. 
you see a flash in their eyes that is kind of like, oh, I know someone named Kamari. Can you go ahead and roll me a savvy check? I guess my question is, are you trying to represent yourself to Kav? Yeah. 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 Go ahead and roll me a savvy check. Uh, I'll say uh, you can roll with the upper hand. (laughs) That's that's a four. (laughs) Exert. Exert. Uh, Sure. I'll exert uh, two blues. Uh, That's an eight. You see Kav looks at you, registers the name Kumari, goes to go, I knew it. They pause. Their face goes from talking to a stranger to talking to someone they once knew. Sorry. Kumari. I know. Mari smiles a bit and goes, do you know what today is? No. It's our birthday. You see Kav look at you with a number of expressions over his face. Trying to figure out what to say to this person. Lucine goes, I, I, mom told me, I, I mean, uh, uh, Francine told me you were, you died. I, I thought you, the, the karaoke place, I thought you, it blew up. I thought, I thought you died in there. No, I, I was, I was there and, and Francine took me out before it happened. Francine was there? Yeah, she was working behind the counter and she said she wanted to help me out with my special surprise presents and she took me outside. And Kumari, you have a flash of a moment remembering at the time when when this explosion happened 20 years ago, Francine Dubois was a lieutenant in the Reno Snake, certainly not the head of it. So why would you recognize them working behind the concessions counter? But in the way that recent memories can color older memories, you all of a sudden see that nondescript person working behind there putting cheese whiz on top of nachos. You recognize the... (laughs) (laughs) Carolyn did not like cheese whiz on top of nachos. space cheese whiz. (laughs) Sorry, space Space whiz. Putting... Putting space. I know you said no tangents, but I, I want to address this in the dice pool here. I was trying. I was trying to communicate uh, shitty cheese on top of nachos, like you get in a bowling alley. Mm. As she put cheese on top of nachos and handed them to you, you recognize now, far off in the future, the memory of a odd-looking box sitting behind her. And they sound you hadn't really thought about in the moment because it's a karaoke bar. Everything is, there's music playing and there's metronomes ticking, but wait, metronomes ticking? There wouldn't have been a ticking. Why would you have a metronome ticking, tick, 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 tick?
Kamari puts their hand on Kav's shoulder. Uh, squeezes their shoulder in a familial way. And then uh, goes, tells Kav, you should leave. And then puts their hand in their gun and immediately turns around to go find Francine Dubois. You turn around hand on hip. You put your hand on the door. And Maria, I think you see this. Kumari only hears it. The cocking of a revolver. Hey, 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 hey. What are you fitting to do here? I'm going to kill the person that ruined my life. That took everything from me. That stole you. You see him uh, look up at you, trained on you down the sights of the revolver. Listen, I'm glad you're alive, but Francine been more mother to me than you ever were. I hadn't seen you in months when I came to that party. You weren't excited to see me when you saw me. A ten-year-old knows the difference between excited and annoyed or excited and surprised. I got you a great present and everything. But listen, I'm glad you're alive and, you know, we can, we can talk and we can, we can do, we can make this a connection. We can be in each other's lives, but not if you take away another mother from me. I think, uh, upon hearing this, like, Kumari, like, looks back on their life to, like, when they were raising or, like, had this, this had cough and had like no money or like resources to take care of them so she like resorted to stealing from these gangs and like doing jobs and like embezzling and realizing like had they known cough existed they would have used that as like leverage to make sure kamari did whatever they wanted so like made the difficult choice of stashing Kav with like friends and family and like making sure no one kind of knew that their connection which kind of resulted in them not being there but then like because of the influx of cash they had was able to give the childhood Kav like a pretty good life uh, like food schools whatever like they like he needed in terms of like survivability he had uh but that meant that Kamari couldn't be present for their kid, which was like a deeply painful realization, like something that Kav never knew that, like the reason for that and never like knew how to explain that to their kid without it like breaking their heart. And so in this moment, I think Kamari drops their gun and like walks up to Kav with the gun like cocked and like puts their forehead against the gun and goes then kill me you have a flash of that night at Calypso's karaoke can of seeing Kav walk into the bar 
big smile on his face, big present wrapped as best a child can in their arms. And your first thought was to glance around the room at all the people that would have one on you if they had known Kav was there and who Kav was. You see members of the Prazo family, members of the Reno Snakes, members of Out of Systems gangs who are your friends as long as you are worth it to them. And you remember the feeling of having to be cold and distant to your child who was just so excited to give you this present, present that you never got to see. I think a thing you recognize in this moment is you understand that Francine was the one who planted the bomb. You also recognize that it was Francine who pulled Kav out of there. Willing to do some things and not willing to do some things. You push your head up against the barrel of the revolver. I want you to roll a savvy check. I think because you're putting yourself in this position, this will be with the upper hand. Tell me what you think about this proposition. Should you succeed, Kav will drop their gun, and you will essentially both be removed from combat, being able to figure out what is happening up here. Should you fail, you will be removed from combat. Am I swan songing right now? Is that what I'm doing? Not necessarily. What I want to posit to you is you're making a very strong move. You can either win everything you want or lose everything you have. I don't want to give you a middle ground here. I'll take you up. I'll take you up on that bad boy. All right. Um, So should you, should you succeed? And you are, your troubles are brewing. So you still have the ability to exert. You're rolling with the upper hand because you're making a very strong move and risking a lot. Yeah. Should you succeed, you'll be able to make further moves as you see fit. Yeah, and I'm going to definitely exert, I think, two more blues, just in case. Um, so go ahead and uh, roll, your, roll your check. Well, didn't need to exert anything, because that is a 10. With a 10, you push your forehead into this gun. You say then kill me. You see Kav's eyes steal themselves. You see them soften and steal themselves again in rapid succession in this moment that extends for minutes. At least in each of your own minds. You see a finger quiver on a trigger before it finally pulls off and into a resting position on the side of the gun. As the gun slowly lowers to his side, looks at you, looks at the door. Listen, you do what you got to do, I suppose. You've got a legitimate quarrel with Francine, I suppose. But What I said before still stands. If you do what you're fitting to do, I won't see you. You'll stay dead to me. 
So you do what you have to do, and I'll understand it. I will. I'll respect it. But I won't forgive you for it. And I hope you can understand that. Been away a long time. Francine's been good to me for a long time. Never pushed me too hard. Never made me do things I wasn't ready for. Made me into the man I am today, okay? So you do what you gotta do. I won't stop you, but... You make that choice. You're as dead to me as you were earlier this morning. Puts the gun back in his holster. Turns away from you. Sits down at the bar. Reaches over. Pulls a bottle of whiskey from behind. You see the bartender glances over, is about to say something, and then realizes this is not a person to be fucked with. Pours a large glass of whiskey. Looks dead ahead at the bottles laid out in front of them. And takes a long, slow sip of a cold glass of whiskey. And waits. We're going to move from Kumari. <sighs> Maria, you tossed your turn down the river to act with Kumari. Also, uh, Kumari, you do have Herbie nearby you, should you want Herbie to do anything, if you want to direct Herbie in this moment. Herbie, get me a glass of whiskey. Hey, you got it, boss. <laughs> uh, Herbie runs behind the bar. You see the bartender doesn't look as enthused to have Herbie behind the bar, but kind of recognizes the situation. Is like, I'm not going to fuck with this. Uh, Herbie pours you, pours you a large drink. Maria. Ugh, I mean, Maria's troubles are brewing. She's lost it. She's This is the apex of, of the troubles. So her troubles are, are definitely a brewing. And I think she's trying to gauge what to do. She doesn't know who's coming up the stairs. To be totally frank, I think Maria's troubles are brewing, and that's her whole turn. She is completely frozen. Uh, you stay frozen in front of the door as you see Herbie go behind the bar to make a drink. You see Kumari standing there frozen in the same spot they were with this gun to their head, and you see Kav slowly drinking this tall glass of whiskey. Ward, your hands shaking with a gun pointed directly up. Revolver is cocked. Both of your fingers are on the trigger as you're beginning to push it back and forth and back and forth. You look into your father's eyes and you flash back to that night. Mm. Hearing him from across the way yelling, this is your fault. You flash back just a moment before as your brother is running with you through this spaceport. Smoke billowing around you gunfire on both sides. You see Saul Jackson and some of his cohorts firing at Perazos, who were not supposed to be there, but Saul Jackson saw his opportunity and fired. You see a glimpse of Tony Perazzo off in the corner, firing at your father and at you and at your brother. And you also notice another pair of people who you are vaguely acquainted with or vaguely recognize one being the daughter of Tony Perazzo, Nikki Perazzo, running with someone you have maybe seen before, hand in hand, heading deeper into the spaceport, trying to find a way out of there. Your brother 
turns to you in this memory and looks and goes, what the fuck are we going to do? We got to get the fuck out of here. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, to, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't. Grabs um, his fist, full of your shirt and just push you. What do you mean you don't know what you, this was your fucking idea. You say you had an out. Let's get out. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. And starts, uh, leading Finn in a direction really has no idea what he's doing. Roll me a, a perception check. It's a six. And because this is a memory, I won't let you exert in this case. Fair. In the moment, there was smoke and there was gunfire and there was the pings and pangs of bullets that were shouting. There were factions that were fighting that you didn't understand. They weren't supposed to be here. None of this was supposed to be here. You're looking for your ride. You have the the docking bay number, but you can't make out heads or tails of anything. And you find yourself heading towards the first ship you see. Clearly not the best ship, not even a good ship, but it's the only one that you can see through the smoke because of the colorful flowers painted on the side. Mm. And it just so happens to have its door open. Sort of as we turn a corner to do that, I think probably like a cohort of goons with Casey Prazo maybe emerges onto the scene. And I and I imagine Casey, because of her large stature, is like rocking like a chunky machine gun. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like a Tommy gun style sort of vibe. And I think she just unloads in our direction. It's like one of those guns that you pick up in like a special level in a video yeah. game and you only get to use it like in that room <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. it really slows you down, but it does so the much The one you damage. rip off of the turret and, and <laughs> totally. around. Love yeah. it. You turn the corner quickly and you see Casey Perrazzo with a couple of Perrazzo goons, but you don't notice the goons because Casey Perrazzo is such an imposing figure. And there are very few things that are more imposing than Casey Perrazzo, but this fucking gun is more imposing than Casey Perrazzo. Your eyes, Finn's eyes, lock onto it. You look at each other as Casey Perrazzo looks at you, recognizes you, recognizes exactly who the fuck sons you are, goes to pull the trigger with a big smile on her face, and you feel a hand on your chest as your brother pushes you away. You grab onto him trying to pull him back as he is riddled with bullets you grab onto the back of his collar pulling but the jacket comes free and all you're left with is your brother's bullet ridden and blood soaked jacket you know there's no reason to stay you see his body get decimated in this moment you fight off the shock because the shock is greater than shock you just know to run and you see a colorful sign that just says hang in there buddy and you run towards it her ship is so sad yeah you flashback to the present moment as you and your father are wrestling over this gun looks at you with eyes full of venom if I could have had one son I wouldn't have picked you 
he's fighting and I think like tears are building up in his eyes and he locks eyes with with Saul and is just just says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about Finn. But you did this to us. You spent our whole lives trying to drive us apart, make us compete, and all it did was make us closer. So fuck you. You're nothing without us. You're just a dog looking for his next leash, whether it's the Perazos or the snakes. Go ahead and roll me a intimidation check. Uh, I'll say you can roll it with your grit. I'm going to have you roll it straight. Copy. Grit? Yeah. That is a nine. You see him momentarily blink as you say this word, this apology of I'm sorry. You see him ready some kind of venomous response and you take it all away from him as you tell him the truth. The truth that quite frankly he knows in the back of his head that he's likely the one at fault really. You may have been the one that took the football that last yard putting your brother in danger but he took it the other 99 yards getting you guys there it was his ego his want of power and wanting to destroy the Perazos that set you up for this disaster there's blame on both sides maybe but certainly more of it falls on his shoulders your words hit true in the back of his head if he is if I guess I want to there's something I'd like to read on his face and then try to do something aside like abandon the struggle for the gun potentially to do something sure what are you you trying to read I want to read if he if he has remorse and actually uh, heard that apology like in a real way go ahead and roll a savvy check I'll say he's your father you can ah ooh answer me this uh, true about Ward Mm. Do you think you ever knew your father? No. Then roll with against the odds. Okay. Savvy? Savvy. Um, okay. There's the two lowest are a four and a one. I'm going to re-roll the one. That's a six. That's ten. Sort of if he feels it and if he is still going to try to kill me, I think is what I, what I want to understand. You see that he feels it. You think that given enough time, he might not try to kill you. It is very tough to fight that kind of cognitive dissonance to have blamed someone else for so long, even if you know the truth to be something else and to change your mind in that moment. I'm going to say with your role he will likely understand it at some point, and he's well on his way to doing that now. Unless you make a more drastic move, he will continue fighting. Copy. I would like to abandon the struggle for my pistol and reach into his holster in his jacket and grab his pistol and shoot him point blank. Not in the head, but in like the, in the gut. I'm going to make this a contested savvy check. Okay. To see if he can recognize what you're doing. I will give you the upper hand, and he will roll straight. Um, that is 
uh, an eight. He rolls an eight as well. Wrestling for the gun, you abandon this gun. You reach into his holster, pull the gun. It is a normal draw holster, so you're pulling it at an odd angle. He, now with control of your gun, you reach forward, grab his gun, and both level them at each other, cocking the triggers together, ready to fire. Because you guys tied in this roll, neither of you has the advantage on the other. Should you fire, he will also fire. Should you choose not to fire, I will make you make a savvy check to try to convince him in this moment not to shoot. But if you fire, it will be point blank. You will hit, and you will do double damage. He will also fire. He will also hit, and he will also do double damage. For you, that just so you know, that will be halved by your um, troubles of brewing. Troubles of brewing. Do I see Eli and where Eli went? I think in this area, you would see Eli. Because of the gunshot and everything? Because of the gunshot. I think that Ward has a moment where he's thinking about Finn and how Finn was really the only real family he had. And then I think he remembers Kumari saying, My first order as captain is... Don't you assholes die on me. And has like memories of sitting in the pod with Eli and being sad and like thinking about how Eli in a lot of ways has has sort of filled that spot in in his life. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say it again the way I said it last time. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and, um, and I think Ward makes a decision that he's not willing to, I think, fully rebuild with his father. It's not worth it. Um, and he pulls the trigger. <gasps> Go ahead and uh, roll an attack. Uh, you'll roll with the upper hand. You'll remove the lowest one and you'll choose uh, whatever die left over that you want to choose that you will double. Um. Alright, that is... Nine to hit and five damage times two is ten. Oh, oh! What's Ward's heart? At? Four. Oh no! Oh! You pull the gun. Your father wrestles the gun down. You spin the gun up into a shooting position. At the same time, he cocks. You cock. You pause both for a moment, waiting not knowing which will pull the trigger first, if either of you will, you decide, is this a relationship worth salvaging? That is a conversation that would take days, if not weeks, if not months, to mend. You have but a second, and you choose. You fire directly into your father's chest. He had eight heart. Your five doubled is ten. Your father falls to the ground, dead. As he falls, Trigger pulls, the hammer of the gun hits a bullet that ignites the powder inside the bullet. The bullet explodes out of the barrel, firing only a few inches to hit its target, bam, in the center of your chest. I'm going to roll a pretty important check here, but it is very unlikely you will survive. You'll be rolling with the upper hand because of the range. So you'll be taking, getting rid of the lowest die. 
whatever die is left over, you will be doing double damage with. Because you were, because your troubles were a brewing, that will be halved. So if he does four or more damage, we're going to have to make one more check as you are knocking on Heaven's door. Mm-hmm. That is a five, and a two is seven. His savvy is three. That is enough. The remaining die is a four. Oh. As you feel a bullet rip through you. You felt that a number of times before. Not like this. You fall to the ground, guns clatter to the ground, ring out. You don't hear the crowd, you just hear your own heartbeat. You hear that heart singed partially by a bullet. And you hear it slowing in your ears. thing mm-hmm. so I have the gambit unstoppable and once per <gasps> arc I can choose to take half damage or if stacked <gasps> with troubles of brewing negate all incoming yeah, damage you, you oh, oh, absolute mother dude yeah. you piece of shit <laughs> you goddamn piece of shit oh my god I was <laughs> fucked up oh my god <laughs> Oh, oh shit! Like before the whole narration. Right. Oh my god! Oh no! I needed to let it hurt. I needed to let Drama. it hurt. It did. Then, uh, Elliot, if, if you'll allow me a, bit, a little bit Please. of creative license, I would love the creative license. I want to see how how this. Yeah. <laughs> you have never felt a bullet hurt like this. You feel your heart slowing as you get blasted back by a near point-blank shot from a revolver. It rings out just that little bit different. You fall back, you hit hard, and you reach underneath your shirt to detach a large plate of metal, now dented hard with a bullet, straight out of a fistful of dollars. (laughs) Can we can we do just a quick flashback scene of Eli like even though they'd been fighting like Eli the night before just like wordlessly coming to Ward's room and like giving him this plate armor mm. that he'd like had fabricated. He's like, "You're my brother," <laughs> and then he walks away before it gets me. <laughs> flashback over. <laughs> you pull out this bit of armor. Uh, toss it on the ground next to you, fully winded. I mean, quite frankly, a slug to the chest will have some issues. You will be feeling this for a while. But for the moment, at least, you're alive. Off in the distance, you hear the sounds of a fight over across the way. You see Eli stumbling back after already getting shot and raising his gun to fire towards Tony Perrazzo. You recognize that there are maybe still ways your gun can be of use you pick it up? Yeah.
as you pick up your gun, let's do a quick bathroom break because I really have to. Yeah, me too. <laughs> back in yeah, back five, in five. Ten? five. Okay, cool. Oof, badoof. If you're hearing this, that means you listen to every last second of this episode. If you're not caught up yet, that's great because then there's plenty more to listen to. But if you are caught up and you simply can't wait for the next episode, then you should head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and become a member of the Dice Pool. For just a few bucks a month, you'll get cast talkbacks, original games, and a full-length bonus actual play each and every month. As of the end of 2023, there is already over 20 hours of bonus audio, plus a whole bunch of other goodies to enjoy. So head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump into the dice pool. We'll see you there.